In this episode of TTSA Talks, Luis Elizondo and Chris Mellon speak with director Anthony Lapp about the premiere of season two of History's Unidentified, a groundbreaking series that follows the investigative research of the TTSA team. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the fifth episode of our TTSA Talks. Today, I am joined by the illustrious Anthony Lapp. He is our director for this season of Unidentified, America's UFO Investigation. Uh, it's our History Channel show that we have. comes on Saturdays at 10 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. And I'm also joined by my good friend and colleague, Mr. Chris Mellon. So with no further ado, folks, Mr. Anthony Lapp. Hey, great to be here, guys. His background, uh, he's an investigative journalist, cut his teeth early on on really looking at the dark, seedy underbelly of, of mankind, looking at things such as human trafficking and black marketing, spent some time in the Middle East and in Europe. Um, really, you're, you're hard-nosed investigative journalist, no-nonsense kind of guy. You really see it in this show, and I think you really see it in this season in particular. So we're, we're going to get into that a little bit. I'm hearing a lot of a, a lot of really positive feedback so far on the show, and I know because of your journalistic integrity, um, you guys really don't like to to allow anybody to have sneak peeks other than a, a few select folks, and and not even me. You you won't even let me have a sneak peek of need to know basis. <laughs> yeah, need to know basis. Right? We should have hired you an ATIP. So I guess my question for you, first of all, Anthony, is why did you agree to do the show in the first place, and then? Just as important, why did you agree to do it this season as well? Yeah, you know, you talked a little bit about my background. And, you know, I had a lot of experience in investigative reporting. Um, I wrote for the New York Times for a while when I was in my 20s. And I, I spent a lot of time in the Middle East. And I was, I was in Iraq after the invasion and uh, spent a lot of time in Lebanon. But uh, nothing really prepared me. For the show, if I'm honest, <laughs> there's, and I remember our first meeting that we had uh, when you guys uh, came to New York, and you know you started talking a little bit about your experience, and I just was kind of my jaw hit the floor. Deep down inside, I asked myself the question: What if these guys are right? <laughs> what if what they're saying is? is true what if this is what if we there are things up there that we really don't know what they are and they're not made by us um so i just i couldn't i couldn't turn away uh i it was a story and having access to you guys and being able to spend the last two years following you guys around and meeting the people that we've been able to meet and having the experiences i, I wouldn't have traded it for anything what professional or personal risks did you or do you face when you decide to go as a you know a hard-nosed investigative journalist uh, doing serious work on organized crime and whatnot, and now jumping into this thing we call the UAP phenomena, which has typically been associated with fringe science and you know tinfoil hats? Did I, I imagine yeah. as a reporter you took a hell of a risk? Yeah, I mean, I definitely had a pit in my stomach um, because you are taking a big risk to have your name attached. To a project like this when you come uh, from a background like myself. Um, but you know what really helped me? Um, and a big shout out, and unfortunately he wasn't involved in this season, but it was Brian Bender. Uh, he and I really developed a, a fairly close relationship in the first season. And, and he was the first guy that I turned to and said, look, what what's the what here? What's going on? Is Does this check out? Does this program check out? 
does Lou check out? Uh, he's got a lot more connections inside the Pentagon than I will ever have. So that was kind of my first stop. And, and hearing from Brian uh, that, look, these guys are sincere. They truly believe this is going on and that there's many people inside various institutions and organizations that share this belief that are talking to me offline and that this program was real. That, that was the first thing that really made me feel secure that this was a story that needed to be told. Talking about insiders, what I'd like to do is kind of shift gears here for just a quick second and, and go over to Chris. You know, Chris Mellon is, is somebody who's, who's quite legendary in the intelligence community. Uh, he was one of the founding fathers, literally, of the language to establish SOCOM, Special Operations Command and a cornerstone to many of the things that we now take for granted. Uh, he spent a lot of time both on the Hill in the legislative side as a senior staffer and, of course, as a on the executive side as a senior DOD official and an intelligence official. And now he's joining us on this journey uh, for the last two years. So, so, Chris, if you don't mind me asking, and I'm sure the audience wants to know, what compels Chris Mellon to pursue this topic and what led Chris Mellon to agree to do a show on, on History Channel? First of all, you're, you're far too kind and generous in your words. I'm not sure I recognize the person you described. <laughs> I but, do. <laughs> uh, two things in terms of what, what led me to get involved and take, these, take the risk of sticking my neck out on this controversial issue. I've been interested in the topic for a long time. I love a mystery I like solving problems. Uh, this is an intriguing uh, issue, has been for a long time. But the thing that really put a fire under me and pushed me over the top was what I learned after I met you, Lou, and what I heard from the Navy pilots. And when I found out what was going on in the East Coast, and here are these, these young, bright young guys who are flying F-18s uh, from carrier battle groups, and they're encountering these strange vehicles that seem to be surveilling uh, carrier battle groups and operating in restricted airspace and in other sensitive areas, and nobody's taking action. Nobody's backing these guys up. It boggled my mind. I don't think the average American citizen, it would ever occur to them that our country would ignore uh, strange aircraft violating U.S. airspace, restricted military airspace on a recurrent basis. And this was going on for weeks, for months, years, and uh, I found that unacceptable uh, from a number of standpoints, from a national security standpoint. As somebody who worked in the intelligence community for 20 years, I, it was not a proud day to see that lack of reaction when these guys really needed some support. So that really lit a fire under me, and um, you know, there's been no looking back. I remember meeting you, and I remember being at the Pentagon and someone saying, hey, uh, a former very senior level DOD official is here to, to, to talk to you. Uh, and I remember you coming in and saying, hey, listen, I really would like to know about this particular portfolio you guys are, are doing here called ATIP. And, and first of all, I was astonished that you even – knew that we were part of that effort, you know, I, we weren't prepared to tell you anything. And of course, I remember very quickly looking over my shoulder, kind of laughing at one of my, my guys there that's with me. And I looked at you and I said, okay, well, if you want a briefing, that's fine, but you're going to need these tickets. And it was a long laundry list, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and so forth. 
And I remember you were diligently writing notes and you said, okay, no sweat. And I know from the inside, it takes over a year sometimes to even get nominated for some of these tickets. So as you left, I kind of looked back and snickered to my colleagues and said, we'll never see him again, right? He's That problem solved. We don't have to worry about that. And I'll be damned if the very next week you came back to my office and they said, hey, he's he's out here again. I said, well, what does he want? We can't let him in unless he's even got, got the tickets. And I remember one of my guys saying, Mr. Elizondo, he's got the tickets. And I could not believe that within a week's time, you had somehow managed, and I val- verified it and validated it. You did. So at that point, I realized, okay, this guy's for real. He's got the connections. I think as we we started this journey, Chris, and now here we are years later doing this television show, I'm curious your thoughts now, looking back, do you think it was worth it? Well, the simple answer is an emphatic yes. And I'm very gratified by the progress we've made in increasing the the public's understanding and Congress's understanding uh, of what's going on and the fact that there is a legitimate issue here uh, that has been neglected and and needs to be uh, attended to um, on behalf of our military personnel, if not for, for larger strategic reasons. The fact that there is report language in a, in a bill going forward um, asking the community to uh, assess this, conduct an all-source assessment is, is really, really gratifying. That was one of the things that I hoped we, we would see. The, uh, the level of attention to this issue from the New York Times and others is very gratifying. So, but for me, it was a fairly easy decision. The thing that I've wondered about, I didn't have to make the sacrifices that you did. I didn't have to give up a career. Um, I had long ago left the department and my larger concern, frankly, Lou, was um, you know, how you would feel about it years later um, because you really were stepping into the unknown with, uh, with no guarantees. Anthony, let me ask you a quick question here. So, you were part of both seasons, season one and season two. Will the audience this season get a chance to see firsthand some of the work that was done in order for the legislators to be informed and to get to the point to where we are now, where there's actually language in a bill to continue this effort, this effort that we called ATIP and now is a task force. Tell me, will the, will the audience get a chance to see that? Yeah, yeah, a little bit. I mean, unfortunately, we weren't able, as you know, our cameras were there with you guys in D.C. at various points. Unfortunately, you know, some of those meetings were behind closed doors, um, but we see the results. So that was very gratifying from a storytelling point of view. We were worried that you guys, you know, were kind of wandering in the wilderness and taking these meetings. And, and it was, you know, pretty incredible story arc to see the tangible results of all the different uh, congressmen and and people from the executive branch even being briefed on this and, and actually speaking publicly about it. That was fascinating to see all that happen in real time while we were shooting the show. So, yeah, that was you know, you're going to see some of that. You're going to see, I think, a really interesting conversation between you and Senator Harry Reid. That's, you know, I think a fascinating conversation. One of the things that I'm really excited about this season is whether it's former Senator Harry Reid or whether it's you guys, we get to really understand the, the roots of what you guys are really kind of feel as, as that both at stake here, but what is really going on. 
but more importantly, you know, what this season is different from last season in the sense that there are just so many more stories. And I think that that's people who have seen episode one, you know, I've gotten a lot of feedback from that. In episode one, we have, you know, there's four new stories just in episode one. You know, we put out this call to action last year. And uh, at the end of every episode for military personnel to contact us with stories. And we got hundreds and hundreds of emails that I spent most of last summer sifting through and kind of vetting and contacting them with my team and kind of whittled that down to a, to a core group. And then others came out of the woodwork as well, as, as you know, as we started shooting. But the, that was the exciting thing, I think, for me, just from a storytelling point of view. There's so many different stories from so many different places all over the world. That's just fascinating. It creates this mosaic. So many of these stories are fitting into patterns that you saw at the Pentagon. And I think putting those pieces together, it's like a huge mystery that is just fascinating. It just gets more interesting and more interesting as you dig deep into it. Chris, you know, that, he brings up a really good point that there is, there is a difference. And I think the audience will realize that this season is fundamentally different. Uh, last season, really, the show was introducing the whole notion of ATIP and who we are. But now it's, you know, it's changed. And the story's more about the people we're talking to. Were you surprised that we had this tremendous overflow of our servicemen and women in uniform reaching out to us and wanting to tell us their stories? Well, I was hopeful that we would. I was confident that there were a lot of witnesses out there, but I didn't know how many would be willing to, to go public and contact us. And uh, that takes some, some nerve to do that. And so I was delighted to see um, how many people were willing to rally to the cause and show support for, for what we're trying to do and add their testimony and their experience to the, uh, to the larger picture. And, you know, patterns start to emerge. And I, I think the audience will see that if they uh, bring last season together with this season and listen to these additional accounts. Um, one of the things that I think our viewers will probably appreciate is the fact that we're not recycling the same old stories. A lot of these shows that treat this subject kind of do the same famous cases over and over. And here we've got a, a whole series of uh, absolutely fresh new uh, cases that people haven't heard about before, all from credible uh, witnesses, trained observers, sober military personnel, very credible. And interestingly, most of these folks uh, did not report these at the time. Uh, many of them felt that it, there was so much stigma, they, they didn't dare escalate the issue or, or push it up the chain, which is one of the reasons it's been easier for the uh, for the bureaucracy to ignore this issue. There's a lot of emotion in this season as well. For a lot of these guys, it was a cathartic moment. They had sometimes held on to these stories apart from sort of their immediate family, going back to the Vietnam era, to the Vietnam War, and, and all the way through to the present day. So that's the, from the storytelling point of view, that was extremely powerful. And you see, you'll see some of these guys are as serious as they are uh, are nervous, and you can feel that nervousness. A couple of them, you know, they wanted their identities um, hidden still because, and a lot of these guys, uh, some of the younger guys, you know, are still working. There's guys who are FAA contractors. There's guys that are working at some of the most secure bases with security clearances. 
that's one of the things I think I'm most proud of, and I, and I hope the audience really picks up on is for every story that you see on your screen this year, there were five other guys that we could have told the story, but we really tried to focus in on people who it really meant a lot for them to come forward, number one, who span different, you know, we have guys from pretty much every branch. There's just so much story and so many different instances and places and times. But then again, all seeing these similar patterns, it's fascinating. So I've got a question for both of you. I'm going to start with Chris. You kind of stole my thunder there, Anthony. You kind of addressed what I, what my next question is, and that is protecting the identities of individuals. You know, some people will, will look at and say, oh, well, that's just a disingenuous attempt to, you know, tell a story without holding somebody accountable. Chris, why is it important for us to extend that courtesy when necessary to protect people's identities when they are having uh, a conversation with us about this topic? Well, unfortunately, uh, there still are very real potential ramifications for some of these individuals. Some of them work for organizations that would not welcome an association with an individual who uh, claims to have seen what, what they've seen. Um, it could be, it could range from very uncomfortable to uh, becoming the object of a lot of derision at work to potentially uh, not getting a promotion you might have been in line for. People with security clearances, it could be uh, a complication there. But so um, I think there are valid reasons, and we have to decide in each of those cases. Uh, we don't prefer to do it to go that route but we don't want to deprive people of the, the opportunity to hear their story either. And I think it's important too, for the audience to understand that we vet these individuals. These aren't just people that come up and say, I had an experience. We, we do our due diligence. We, we double check and triple check. We call people and friends back in DC to verify security clearances and, you know, DD two fourteens and assignments. And so, you know, these aren't just people, if you will, off the street that want to tell a story they are who they say they are and they've done what they say they've done. Now, Anthony, you're an investigative journalist where anonymous sources and confidential sources are to be avoided almost at all costs. What are your thoughts on that? And what are some of the challenges and, you know, what's your overall feeling towards that practice? Yeah, well, well, fortunately, Lou, we didn't, we didn't have to do it too often. Um, So it wasn't a huge issue. I mean, there's, there's definitely, challenges t- trying to tell these stories because the the same reason why these guys have, have held on to these accounts for so many years it's the same reason why some of the corroborating witnesses who were there don't want to talk in in some cases you know some of these guys the, you know they've been trying to track down the guys who were there with them for years and haven't been able to do it either so they're hard when you're looking back at some of these historical cases and then uh, some of the more recent ones, you know, we tried our best. I mean, some of them have some very powerful corroborating witnesses, as you know, some of these cases where, where you hear the, the sort of, let's say, the other guy who was just down the road from the incident who saw the same thing from a different vantage point, And that really sends chills up your spine when you, when you get those corroborating witnesses. But it's an inherently difficult topic. It's probably one of the most, if not the most difficult topic to, to try to get to the bottom of because there's so much stigma, it goes without saying. I agree 100%. You know, one of the frustrating points for me is that there's this thing which I never realized uh, until I, I started working with you, this 
whole 50 to 1 and 100 to 1 ratio, what the audience may not be aware of is that, you know, for every minute of television they're watching of an interview, there may be 50 minutes of the interview that you just simply can't use because there's not enough time. And the information is really compelling, but you have to make a judgment call what bits and pieces of the information are critically important. And sometimes I find that very, very difficult because a lot of what they're saying is so compelling. You know, you're not going to have a time. I mean, you could do an entire hour, two hour show just on one person. And, and obviously we, we, we can't do that. What I found so amazing is that as you are, like we did an A-tip, you get one witness to say something and they said, yeah, I was with a guy or, you know, a gal, Joe or Jane 20 years ago who also saw it, but I lost contact. I have no way to find him. All of a sudden, we do some investigative work on the back end, and all of a sudden, we find the person. And lo and behold, they corroborate exactly what that person has said after 20 years. They're like, you know what? I don't want to talk publicly about this, but yeah, you know, Sergeant Joe Smith was absolutely right because I saw it too. And I never said anything because I did not want to be made fun of. I did not want to jeopardize my promotion potential or be looked at as crazy. Yeah, we had that that one story, which people will see where, you know, it was a really kind of dramatic moment because one of the corroborating witnesses said, you know what, I've always felt bad over the years that I kind of hung them out to dry. It's a case of two guys saw the same incident or same. Yeah, he recanted his story. Yeah. And he said that at the time they were getting, they told their commanding officers and the rest of their platoon uh, harassed them so much that the, the call him the second witness kind of recanted in the moment, kind of left the other guy hanging out to drive, made him look like an idiot. And uh, we contact him 20 years later and says, you know, I always felt bad about, about doing that, that I left my, I let my partner, uh, you know, kind of hang in the wind there. And uh, that's the real emotional, you know, human aspect of the story is that half the guys, you know, kind of were like Commander Framer, where they're just fascinated. They're like, man, I want to fly that thing. That was, what the heck was that, right? But for a lot of guys, as you'll see in this season, and I, and I hope people appreciate is it, it changed their lives. It upended their entire belief system, this experience. It, it challenged their, their view of uh, religion, of the universe, of our place, in the, of their place in the, in the world. And uh, it had these really profound effects. But going back to what you were saying, we had so many stories and we only had so many hours or minutes to tell them. We aired on the side of, look, let's try to get as many stories as possible out there and then look at the patterns around them. Because you're right, any one of these stories you probably could have done an hour on. Some of them were very quick, but, but some of them you could have. But we wanted people to see what we experienced when we got all these hundreds of emails from these guys of how many stories there were and the breadth and how many different places and all these guys from all these different branches. And I think the power is in the, I don't want to say, the, the quality isn't there. The quality's there, but the power is in the, the quantity in this season because you're going to hear so many different stories that you've never heard before. Chris, what I'd like to do is ask your thoughts on one particular subject, and that is heroism. You know, you have, in one case, we have a, a recipient, an awardee of the Navy Cross, right? One of the Navy's highest honors uh, bestowed onto somebody for heroism. And this person is telling us an incredibly compelling experience that this individual had, along with an eyewitness that was sitting next to him in the cockpit. What does it mean when somebody with that type of credential comes out 
publicly and says, I had an experience, this is what happened, and this is how it's impacted me. It is stunning the stories some of these guys have to tell. Um, and I think about in that connection, one of the, the Vietnam vets who is flying these, these missions from a carrier and they're losing a lot of guys in his squadron and it's mission after mission after mission. Everyone is kind of a Russian roulette experience, dodging anti-aircraft bullets and missiles and uh, sometimes taking some flack. Um, having to land on a, on a heaving carrier in the ocean, sometimes at night. Just incredible, incredible stories. And these guys buckled up and went back and did it the next day after, you know, nearly getting killed. And then you have to do it over again and dozens or hundreds of times. So when individuals like that speak on a topic like this, one, it's, it's uh, to some degree not surprising because they obviously have tremendous nerve. And two, they're, they're people who are willing to die for their country. They're people that are putting everything on the line repeatedly. And people that, that are willing to make that level of sacrifice for the nation as a whole, you know, they're not going to invent some silly story or create some, some incident just to, uh, to get in front of a camera. They're usually actually very modest people. They don't play up the, the dangers that they encountered, which, which, are kind of, uh, which are incredible in some cases. I'd like to, to back up for a second and touch on a couple of other things. Yeah, um, sure. One is the, the issue of people appearing anonymously that you raised. One of the things I should have mentioned and, and, and didn't is that people who work for the U.S. government or large organizations are supposed to go through their press offices and get permission before appearing on television or speaking to the media. And that's basically impossible for a lot of people. They're not going to get that permission. And so they have to make a decision. Do I appear anonymously or not at all? Because that, that's simply not going to happen if they go through Great proper point. channels. Great point. It's just a practical matter. Um, secondly, uh, Anthony's comment about the uh, transcendent experience, the life-changing experience that these events have for many people, it's, it's reminiscent of what many of the astronauts have spoken about and experienced. Edgar Mitchell and, and many of the other astronauts talk about the way their perceptions changed after seeing the Earth from a, from a great distance and being out in space. They sort of fundamentally had a different perspective on, on life and on reality. And that, a similar sort of sense comes through uh, in the stories of some of these individuals. So I've got Two more questions for you guys, and I think the audience is probably going to want to know this as well. Starting with you, Anthony, what is one of the major differences you expect the audience to see or realize with this season as opposed to last season? Well, I think we went over some of the basics just the, in terms of the depth and the, the, the breadth of the stories that we get into. But I'd like to think, and without giving too much away, that we do get some new insights here and there, though, this show is not about you guys. It's really following you guys in a, in a kind of classic follow mm -hmm. doc way. But I do think there's some real moments of candor and insight into what makes you guys tick that I think especially listeners to the TTSA podcast uh, are going to be really interested to see. I'll leave it at that. I don't want to give too much away. It's always a push and pull with the network of, you know, I, I don't have the ultimate say over everything. And I, I try to get in those kind of human moments in the moments of candor 
so hopefully those come across. And uh, I was also fascinated by your trip with my amazing co-executive producer, Jesse Phillips, down to South America. I don't know if, if we've even told people that, but your trip down to South America was fascinating. You guys met with the head of the Air Force of uh, a country down there. I won't give it away what he told you, but uh, why don't you tell me a little bit about your reflections on that trip down there? Wow. Well, I, I agree with you. I think Chris would agree too. We never wanted the show to be about us. South America for me was incredibly fascinating. I will tell you, I learned stuff even after 10 years being an ATIP. There were things I did not know that I learned from our, our brothers and sisters down there in Latin America. I was blown away by their candor and their honesty and their forthcomingness to have honest conversations. You know, when you're, when you're literally in the middle of an intelligence headquarters where their most sensitive secret information is being processed on a daily basis and they're giving you a briefing on their UFO program. That's right. I said that their UFO program and it's being filmed. I don't ever remember a time that type of openness and transparency has, has ever been captured on film, let alone provided to a general audience or a foreign audience, right? Um, so to me, it was extremely rewarding. You're absolutely correct. Jess Phillips, the co-director, is extremely talented. You know, she she drives a hard train, man. She she pushes and pushes and pushes. There were a couple of times where the audience won't know this, but, you know, we were almost attacked by gunmen. Uh, we had some, some security concerns issues. There was a time of instability. You had riots in the streets. You had coups going on in neighboring countries. Chinese spies following you guys. Chinese spy. Yeah. Surveillance. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was, it was pretty incredible. I'll leave it at that. Chris, let, let me ask you, what do you see as the fundamental difference personally from last season as opposed to this season? We build on the story from last season. I think we helped flesh it out, establish that they were not, there's, this is not an issue where there were just a couple of well-known incidents or incidents that are now well-known, that this is, is more commonplace than probably anybody had suspected. And I think it augurs well for this report if, in fact, the Pentagon complies in the intelligence community and does this report thoroughly, because we now have individuals, uh, one from NORAD, for example, who tells a, a really compelling tale about an attempted intercept directed from the four-star level, an aircraft violating uh, North American airspace. And those kinds of incidents have to be recorded and there's certainly a record of that and probably many, many more. I think it helps to underscore, uh, there's a lot of continuity in my mind. Um, I'm very frustrated that there's a couple of cases we weren't able to get into the show. And I hope we'll be able to do those later. And uh, finally, I think we get a little edgier, a little riskier towards the end of the season in terms of some of the topics that we, we touch on. You know, I think what the audience may may not be aware of, it's not like you we do investigative work to prepare for the show. We're constantly doing this investigative work literally up to three hours ago. And it just so happens that you have the cameras there as a ride along. But we don't prepare necessarily interviews to follow a supposed script. In fact, it is the show that is its story arc is actually evolving constantly based upon new information that we have. My final question here then for everybody is, where do we go from here? What is your hope and desire 
for a season three. And I'll start with well, you, Anthony. Yeah, well, on my interests, of course, primarily are selfish because I'm a television producer. But uh, that, uh, you know, the people get out the word. I think, I think it's really important for your listeners. You know, people who are listening to this podcast are obviously going to be the supporters of TTSA and what you guys have been doing and what Tom's been doing. You know, it's definitely helped for listeners and viewers of the show to spread the word on social media and, get, and to get their friends and family and other people to watch. Television is a very competitive landscape, and, and a lot of people, luckily, now are watching TV. TV ratings are way up because everyone's home. But uh, definitely, if I could make the case to, for everyone to get out the word, if you feel this is important television programming, I mean, this is you know must view TV. Then you know, let people know. Get on social media. Let's go with you, Chris. Um, where do we go from here? What, where do we expect to go next year and, and maybe the year after that? I think partly that is going to depend on uh, what kind of response we continue to get from the public and how many people come forward with news stories and information. And I would encourage people who are listening, if you have information that we're not likely to already be aware of, we hope you'll approach us. Um, we're particularly interested in government and military personnel who've had experiences and shed uh, new additional light on this issue. There are cases that uh, I know already we weren't able to incorporate this season that are incredible cases. Um, I'm sure we'll want to follow up on those. I think the international dimension of this, I think what's going on on the Hill and in our own government is something we're going to want to uh, continue to pay attention to, and there'll probably be further developments there. I, I hope we can continue to bring new information forward. Uh, you know, they say truth is stranger than fiction, and uh, it really is the case. We don't have to invent anything. We just have to let these people tell their real-life experiences. They're pretty mind-boggling. I'll leave our audience with, with two quick thoughts. First of all, it's been brought to my attention that there are national-level leaders that are actively watching the program. They are actually using the show to help them make better and more informed decisions, and then uh, get other people engaged in government to take this topic seriously. Um, the next thing I'd, I'd like to, to do, the last thing here, is just thank our, our wonderful audience uh, for tuning in. We can't do what we do if you don't do what you do. Um, we're doing this for you. All this work is being done so we can provide you the information. In some cases, our, our work is relatively easy. Our job is to, to collect the truth and speak the truth. That's it. You're the jury. Uh, we are presenting the facts and the data to the jury. And what really matters is what you think about this information. How does it affect you? And is it worth pursuing? And is it something that you want our elected officials to consider to be a national level priority? Is this a topic that affects mankind writ large? And that's not up to us. That's up to you, the audience. If this is something you feel compelled to, to continue to pursue then, and you want us to pursue it, then there are ways to do that. As, as Chris mentioned before, engaging your elected officials, collecting information and data, reporting that information. If, you're, if you are a service member in uniform, there is now new policies out there that allow you to report this information without fear of retribution or reprisal. Uh, and of course, uh, we would love to hear from you ourselves. So everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. Look forward to seeing you on Saturdays at 10 o'clock Eastern Standard Time on History Channel's Unidentified. And uh, put a real quick special thanks out to our production team. That's JP, AC, Carrie, and Lisa. 
Uh, without their help and support, this podcast would not be possible. So we owe them a lot. Um, thanks very much for all that you do every day. Take care and God bless. For more TTSA talks, please visit to the starsacademy.com. <laughs>